0: Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hi folks, Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. I just want to give you a little update on the book I'm writing. It's taking longer than I thought, but I want to make sure it's done right. We have finished the first editing, and we are going through the second editing, I have an excellent editor who's helping me tremendously, so I'm hoping to have it done by this fall sometime. So today we're going to go back to 1840. We're going to talk about judges. Now picture this. Charles Jackson, a politician in Shelby County, Texas, had no intention of starting a ruckus that warm fall day in 1840. When he raised his rifle, took careful aim, and shot a man named Joseph Goodbread through the heart. He only wanted to do right by a friend whom Goodbread had cheated in a business deal, but Jackson's notion of right touched off a war that raged for four long years and spread through five counties. And as it raged, it exposed a weakness in frontier life that few people were willing to admit. The system of justice on which Americans elsewhere depended had taken on kind of a shaky hold in the West. wasn't quite like it was back East. Well, Jackson's act triggered a monumental feud between his own allies and Good Bread's friends, the guy shot. So the two uh, factions, they embarked on a shooting and a looting and a lynching and burning uh, spree that left at least 50 men dead and kind of ravaged the countryside. Now, clearly, the crimes that were committed called for justice to be meted out, and from time to time, one judge or another appeared on the scene to try. The first sight that greeted District Court Judge John Hansford upon arrival in the town of Paluski was the presence in the street of 150 armed men. He was followed into the courthouse by 20 of them, along with the sheriff and the defendant, Charles Jackson, also armed, Now, Judge Hansford uh, fined the sheriff for letting his charge come into court with weapons. The defendant was so outraged, it so happened that the sheriff was actually the friend for whom he had committed the murder. Well, he removed his pistols, threw them on the judge's bench, took off his coat, and demanded that the trial commence. Now, Judge Hansford managed to get through a turbulent day, even choosing a panel of jurors, but overnight, he had an unnerving second thought about the matter. Next morning, he was gone, leaving the sheriff with this note, quote, Being unwilling to risk my person in the courthouse any longer, where I see myself surrounded by bravos and hired assassins, and no longer left free to preside as an impartial judge at this special term of court, called for the trial of Charles W. Jackson, I order you to adjourn the court tomorrow at eight o'clock by proclamation without delay. Well, now, obviously, in the absence of the judge, Jackson was given a mock trial by his friends. He pleaded self-defense and was acquitted. Judge Hansford was not so fortunate. A few days later, some miles outside of Paluski, he was found shot to death by a party or parties unknown. You can only guess who probably took care of him. Well, Hansford's fate was exceptionally harsh, probably because he had the bad luck to be dealing with Texans at a time and a place of unusual turmoil. Texas itself was then still an independent Republic. And though its leaders had adopted the U S system of justice as a model, um, its proud citizens didn't think much of authority or any sort of judicial authority or otherwise but they were not all that different from people else uh, everywhere in the country disrespect for the man on the bench were evident throughout the west many a judge was cursed to his face subjected by spectators to a display of their pistols and their Bowie knives or openly threatened the courtroom itself suffered varying degrees of indignity from fistfights and brawls uh, to having garbage thrown at the judge. So this irreverence of Dodge City is, uh, resident, as residents moved uh, a, uh, a, police court, a police court to judge, quote, any person caught throwing Turnips, cigar stumps, beets, or old quids of tobacco at this court will be immediately arraigned before this bar of justice. Well, firmness, resoluteness, and iron nerve were judges' best weapons of counterattack, and the man who refused to be intimidated usually, I say usually, prevailed. One uh, memorable confrontation between an angry group of people and a man who could not be buffaloed buffaloed, took place in the same Shelby County that later uh, had routed Judge Hansford. The man was District Judge Robert M. Williamson, better known as Three-Legged Willie, because he walked on a peg leg attached to one knee. But it quickly became clear that there was nothing wrong with Willie's backbone. The judge had been sent to the town of Shelbyville to set up a court. As uh, a bunch of uh, resentful cowboys looked on, he improvised a courtroom in a general store using a dry goods case as his bench. He had no sooner sat down than the local spokesman informed him that no court was needed in those parts. By the way of emphasis, the Speaker tossed his boy knife at the bench and announced, uh, quote, "'This, sir, is the law in Shelby County.'" Whereupon, three-legged Willie whipped out his pistol, whacked it down beside the knife, and said, "'This is the Constitution that overrules your law.'" Well, for his show of raw courage, Willie might have met with Hansford's ends, but he did not. What Willie accomplished was longer-lasting. The men he faced down must have felt, perhaps for the first time, a grudging respect for, quote, Willie's law. Now, some citizens continued to resist any rain on their freedom, but more thoughtful elements in the community came to see that courts were an essential aid to local peacekeeping efforts. It was all well and good for a marshal or sheriff to hunt down an evildoer at high-risk, but unless the man was tried and punished, the risk was likely to just happen again. Well, the peace officers on their own could do little more than fight violence with violence. If the cycle was to be broken anywhere, it had to be done in orderly courts presided over by capable judges with the full and unqualified support of the citizens of the town. Well, a long time was to elapse before the West had anything approaching this ideal situation. The system of courts envisioned by the Founding Fathers worked well enough in the East, but on the sparsely populated frontier, it proved to be in constant need of reinforcement. When a territory was organized, the U.S. government would appoint a few district judges, gradually increasing the number as the territory began to fill up with uh, immigrants and pioneers and farmers and, when, and the such. These men shouldered an enormous burden. They tried not only Specific federal crimes, train holdups, obstruction of mails, counterfeiting, selling whiskey to Indians, but also all major crimes later left to the state courts, such as murder and armed robbery. The only cases they did not handle were minor offenses like misdemeanor. So I guess that'd be like shoplifting or things like that. Well, geography alone made the task of the district judge really hard. Often, he had to take long circuit-riding trips to try the accused, uh, being detained in various communities within his huge, sprawling district, or he might send out marshals to uh, bring the accused to the district court for trial. Distances on the frontier could slow justice in other ways as well. In fact, there was a judge in Arizona on looking over a group of potential jurors, noticed that one of them wore no coat. Now, he thought this casual dress was an affront to the dignity of the court. He ordered the man to go home and get the coat. It was three days before the juror returned, properly clad in the coat, explaining to this mad judge that home was 80 miles away, and it took him a while. Now, every defendant had a right to a trial by jury, but rounding up enough citizens to form a jury was difficult in those thinly settled areas. Uh, the results were not always encouraging. Often when the defendant was known locally, they would be fined uh, and they would they would fine for him and maybe like they'd be fined. And, and in several districts where the payments of jury fees was ex- really, really low, jurors refused to re- uh, reveal their findings until they got the cash. Now in the best of circumstances with a conscientious jury and a well-intentioned lawyer a district judge still had his frustrations because there was a lot of lawyers uh, who really were ignorant of the law and only a few had been formally schooled in it before hanging out their shingles Now a judge could expend a good deal of effort in prompting and guiding both the prosecutor and the defense Uh, nor was he himself necessarily really versed in procedures and precedents. Now, though judges who presided over jury trials were expected to have some formal education in the law, those appointed to the Western bench often were men left over after others had been picked off, uh, preferring easy judgeships or courts back east. So we kind of got the tail end, uh, the guys that didn't really graduate top of their class, you could say. But for all the failings of the district court, it was there that the Western criminal first met the cutting edge of law, and with a long prison term or a death sentence as a likely penalty, he was uh, judged guilty, if he he was judged guilty. Well, working conditions for local judges usually left a lot to be desired. In the new frontier towns, civic buildings were as scarce as honest gamblers. For the lack of a courthouse, justices held their hearings in pool halls, saloons, or wherever they happened to be when the case was presented to them. Many towns did erect a courthouse, uh, but uh, a favorite tactic of outlaws in Texas and Kansas was to just burn the place down. So some judges could barely read or write uh, Uh, So this attracted kind of, as I mentioned, some bumblers, some drunkards and eccentrics like Judge Roy Bean, for example. But too many justices took out uh, or took solicited bribes or used their authority to impose and pocket these uh, really high fines. So they were just as bad as some of the criminals. Now, honest judges did exist. Probably there were more of them uh, than we would like to suggest. Now, no part of the West was more of a legal nightmare uh, and criminal's paradise than Indian territory. This immense wilderness of prairies and mountains was bounded by Arkansas on the east, Kansas on the north, a strip of no man's land in the northwest, and Texas on the west and south. Now, without doubt, the territory offered outlaws their safest refuge and their richest field for plunder. At one time or another, the worst in the West— accepted the open invitation to visit Indian Territory. For example, the James Gang, they vacationed there between holdups, and the Dalton brothers, they roamed there without any challenge, just robbing and killing whenever they wanted. So in Indian Territory, nothing worked in favor of firm and uniform law. Now, around 1870, the only authorized permanent residents of the territory were some 50,000 Indians, and the territory had no white man's towns at all. The five tribes, the Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, and Seminole, were recognized by the U.S. government as self-governing nations within their own lands, and each tribe had its own laws, courts, and police force, and they were called the light horse uh, for the ponies they used on patrol. But the Indian courts had no jurisdiction over white invaders, no power to exert even minimal restraints on fugitives from other parts, Moreover, they lost jurisdiction over every Indian who committed any crime against or in company with a white man. Well, such Indians and every white who committed any crime whatsoever within the territory fell under the jurisdiction of the United States court, whose only judge was expected to enforce law and order over some 70,000 square miles of outlaw haunted territory. Well, nobody had planned planned these arrangements, but they just kind of evolved over the years. So you can see that uh, the judges in the Old West were at best somewhat versed in law. Uh, Sometimes, as I mentioned, they were worse than the criminals on trial. Uh, So it was not a good situation. But again, there were some good judges, and it gradually became better and better throughout the West. So that's kind of a brief overview of the judges of the Old West.